Hello, my name is Matthew Bonney. I'm here with Tom Leach, QC, and my partner from Herbert Smith Freehills, and we're going to be talking to you about an interesting point of property law which has just cropped up. Uh, thank you, Matthew, and good afternoon to everybody. Uh, Matthew, can you tell us about the case that we're going to discuss? Yeah, this is a Brexit case. Canary Wharf and the European Medicines Agency, or we'll call them the EMA. And it is very topical. It's been in the press a lot. Lots of interest about the law behind it as well. So my plan is that we should have a quick chat, talk about the background and the facts, then move on to the law and then say what we actually think about the case and what its implications might be. Thank you. Can I just ask you this? The UK hasn't yet left the EU and it's not clear, particularly this week, that it ever will. So why has a case arisen already about the consequences of a Brexit that hasn't happened? Well, quite right. Yeah, it seems quite early for this. The answer is that Canary Wharf, who's the landlord, is taking a preemptive step against uh, one of its tenants. Uh, so Canary Wharf is the claimant in this case and wants something decided about the case as early as possible. And it's possible that we may have a High Court judgment on the point before the 29th of March 2019, which is uh, the current Brexit day. Well, can you tell us a bit about the background to the case? Sure. This is a case about the European Medicines Agency. They are the tenant of Canary Wharf in a large office block. It's a pretty hefty piece of kit. There's um, about 10 storeys, and it's right in the middle of a commercial district of London. And the rent that's being paid is £13 million a year, but that's likely to go up. And also the lease is going to continue till 2039. So, in fact, there's an awful lot of rent, it's a big investment, and Canary Wharf, as its landlord, wants to make sure that the lease continues. And when did uh, EMA enter into the lease? Well, they started off in 2011 uh, by entering into the agreement, and then the 25-year lease itself started in June 2014. There isn't any kind of break clause in the lease, so the term will continue until 2039. There are some other interesting things about it. It has a broad user clause, so the building can be used basically as offices, and it also has an alienation provision which allows the lease to be assigned and sublet in certain specific circumstances. So that's going to be relevant to what we're talking about. Well, as we all know, uh, we had the Brexit referendum on the 23rd of June 2016, so that's after the lease was granted, and the UK decided to withdraw from the EU, uh, and following that... Um, What happened next? Well, after the UK decided to withdraw, the EMA announced uh, in November 2017 that it planned to relocate um, its entire office to Amsterdam, and that's kind of 900-odd staff and so forth. And um, so there was going to be a wholesale removal of this particular European agency from the UK, and uh, this is part of their planning to leave. And And what are they asking for? What are they asking the court for? Tell us that. Well, Canary Wharf has preemptively applied for declarations that the lease is going to continue till 2039. And critically, they are asking the court to determine that Brexit isn't the kind of event that means that the lease is going to be frustrated. And we get a little bit more detail out of that from the pleadings. The EMA is arguing that when the UK leaves the EU then the EMA will lose certain privileges and immunities that it currently has. And it also says that European Union law requires it to be primarily located in an EU member state, and obviously after Brexit that wouldn't be the case. Questions have arisen about the budget which would be necessary for um, the EMA to move to its new HQ in Amsterdam, 
And if it succeeds in its arguments about frustration, then this is a really big way of it uh, removing a huge overhead uh, from its books. Now, uh, my understanding of the law of frustration is that it's extremely rare in leases. Uh, I think there are one or two cases which accept that it's in principle possible to frustrate a lease, but I can't remember any uh, case in the law books uh, which in which that argument has ever been successful. And as I understand it, that's largely because if you've got a piece of land and you let it to another party or sell it to another party, uh, then uh, very difficult to see how it comes to an end unless the land falls into the sea. So why is this case different? Well, the EMA is saying that the implication of Brexit is not something that fell within the contemplation of the parties at the point when they entered into the lease. And as a result of that, they've actually at court, um, particularly last week, been taking evidence from the key players who were involved in the negotiation at the time. The reason for that is that the party's knowledge and their expectations at the time of the contract will be one of the things which help the court to decide whether a frustrating event has actually happened, because this would need to be some kind of a supervening event. And what was the evidence about... um you know, when Brexit first came into view before the referendum in 2016. David Cameron announced that he was going to hold a referendum in January 2013. So by then, the agreement for lease would already have been entered into. And then the Conservatives published their draft EU referendum bill, which said that the vote would be held sometime towards the end of 2017, certainly by December 2017. And in May 2014... There was an interesting point because UKIP at that point won the most seats in the European Parliament elections that were held in the UK. So politically, that was quite a hefty push. So you could argue that by July 2014, when the lease was completed, the parties should have been aware that Brexit was a real possibility. And they could have reflected this by inserting some kind of a break option. They could have drafted it pretty narrowly, perhaps in favour of the tenant, but actually they didn't do that. So the lease is now sitting there with no provision for what is actually happening now. So do you think the law is about to change? Some parts of the press may have you think so. And the courts have been revising various legal tests in the last few years. Do you think this is going to be another example? There have been a whole series of situations where the courts have very recently attempted to move things along. In in fact, a lot of cases have come to the Supreme Court and the laws on various bits of real estate law have changed. I'm thinking particularly there was the Cavendish Square case, which was in 2015, uh, which on the face of it was on quite a small point, which is whether somebody who owns a car park can levy a fine on somebody who fails to drive out of the car park in time. And the Supreme Court took that case and changed the law on enforcement of penalty clauses, such as those kind of car parking fines. Then there was the M&S case, which is another Supreme Court decision, which revised the law on the existence of implied terms in contracts such as leases. And very recently, the Supreme Court again stepped in to develop the law in relation to the landlord's grounds for terminating a business lease, which is usually protected by the 1954 Act. Actually, there are a lot of other areas of the law relevant to real estate that haven't yet reached the Supreme Court but are open to debate. One of those is whether there's a parallel ability for a landlord or a tenant to treat a lease as repudiated due to a serious breach and whether that kind of a right exists parallel to the law of forfeiture, which obviously also covers that. And then most recently there has been the Arnold and Britain case 
And that was another case which had curious facts. It was about holiday chalets. And it was about a situation where the holiday chalet owners were finding themselves in the regrettable position where their service charge was doubling uh, and that that was going to happen uh, until the end of their term, the result of which would be that they would end up paying a huge amount of service charge towards the end of their lease term. But, in fact, in that case, the court wasn't sympathetic to them and said that just because you have a bad bargain, it doesn't mean that you are necessarily uh, entitled to get out of a contract. And what's your view? Come on, chance your eyes. <laughs> well, I think there are a lot of questions which we could ask. There's a general question as to whether frustration could ever succeed in relation to a lease. And what's your view about that one? I think it's possible that a frustration case could succeed in the right circumstances, but exactly how severe would that have to be? Would it actually have to be a situation of a property falling over the edge of a cliff? Well, the courts have indicated already that that's one of the possibilities. So, yes, I think frustration can succeed in relation to a lease if the facts are right. There are a few cases, aren't there, particularly in the USA, which have been mentioned in, in decisions in the UK about prohibition, saying that where when prohibition came in in the 1920s, it frustrated a number of real estate contracts. Do you think that's an appropriate analogy in this case? It would be if it's a question of pure illegality. You can imagine a situation where, for example, betting was made illegal in the UK and something had a user clause that required it to be kept open as a betting shop. In those kind of circumstances, then conceivably that might be right. But we've got to remember that actually this is a different kind of lease because here we have an office lease which has got a very wide user provision in it. And not only that, but it should be relatively easy uh, to assign it because it has a broad ability for alienation. It could be sublet or it could be assigned. The mo most interesting thing is that clearly there may not be a market on this particular case for the EMA readily to find somebody, but just because it doesn't happen to suit the tenant, don't think that's a reason for uh, frustration law to intervene. So you might say the reason that they've been unable to sign the lease on is not because the lease has been frustrated, but because there's simply no market for office buildings of this kind. Well, it may just be the case that um, the real underlying cause of the problem, and the thing which is actually causing frustration within the usual meaning rather than the legal meaning for the tenant, is its inability to do something that the lease allows, which is to have it assigned. Let me ask you another question mm. then. Let's assume that the MA does succeed. Uh, what effect do you think that that will have on claims over Brexit? Well, it can only encourage them. Uh, we might see a torrent of attempts by other um, companies and individuals to argue that Brexit has got some effect on whether a lease should continue. There are an awful lot of leases out there, hundreds of thousands of them. So the chances are that people would be encouraged if they heard that this particular case was found in favour of the tenant. But what we have to remember is that these are pretty specialist facts. The EMA is effectively an office of the European Union. And so if anybody is going to claim frustration, then presumably it would be some kind of an agency like that. What I don't think would work would be, for example, a retailer saying that because of Brexit, their profits are down and they need to close a store and that the lease is frustrated. That's just down to a downturn of, an, of the economy. And I don't think that would ever be enough. And one final question. Uh, will this first instance decision be the end of the story or do you think the matter is going to go further? 
Well, it's interesting to see that it's been fast-tracked through to this particular High Court trial. And that does mean that the parties will at least get a first-instance decision from the High Court, probably before the 29th of March. But also, it's unlikely to be the end of the story, because assuming the parties don't settle out of court, there's a possibility that one or other party will appeal. The reason for that being that the amounts of money are so high that are at stake. One way of dealing with that would be for there to be a leapfrog up to the Supreme Court rather than it simply going to the Court of Appeal and then to the Supreme Court. And I think in this kind of a case, that's perfectly possible because it does raise important points of law. So we may be back discussing a future decision in the Supreme Court on this interesting issue. Absolutely, and it's possible that the Supreme Court itself might want to expedite it simply because of the fact that it may otherwise create issues between, um, within the economy as to the certainty of the existence of leases. So watch this space. Indeed, and we'll be back to report on that as and when it happens. Tom, thanks for joining me today. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk about this case.